welcome to Fighting Over the VCR, a podcast where my sister and I talk about the movies we grew up watching. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm Nancy. If you are a follower of our podcast, you might uh, know about the how our most recent podcast before this was a little tense. It was very tense. It was a little tense. It didn't get heated like we weren't throwing the microphone or anything but he didn't rip the uh bow out of my hair or anything like that no no it got but um it was a little little tense discussion and um i think that you know we both had movies that you know, we were very passionate about and that passion kind of came across hopefully um very clearly through our our words of wisdom and what not about our movies. And for those of you who maybe are just skipping around and hadn't listened to our last podcast, we discussed Desperately Seeking Susan and Lost Highway. Lost Highway, an amazing movie. We agree to disagree. So anyway, <laughs> this week, you know, after the high tension of our previous episode, I think we're going to see a vast difference we're going to get a lot lighter, and we're going to talk about two fun movies. Yes. I think, hopefully, these are movies that you've seen and have brought warmth to your heart in <laughs> some sort of way, a little bit of a chuckle here and there. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be talking about Muppets Take Manhattan, starring Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, Fozzie. Liza Minnelli. Gregory Hines... A couple other cameos Joan Rivers. And Nancy is going to be talking about a wonderful movie that is probably the fairy tale of our time, Princess Bride. Yes. So I think I'm going to start this off. I picked Muppets Take Manhattan, which for me is probably my favorite Muppet movie of all time. Now, I'm going to hijack this podcast a little bit. Go ahead. Because... Really, I don't want to just talk about this movie. I don't think it's it would be right to talk about a movie as great as Muppets Take Manhattan without just talking about it, the creator of the Muppets, Jim Henson. Because what he did for not just the movie industry or for children's television, but what he did for children of our generation mm -hmm. in particular... Um, was really amazing as far as teaching, you know, about life and making us laugh and being super creative and letting us use our imagination in probably ways that a lot of other television at that time was kind of, it all kind of started with what Jim Henson was doing. Yeah. And, um, educational TV. Educational TV, but also just fun, good, witty, and oh, not very sarcastic, and not and kind funny. of dumbing down anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think you get a lot of the humor that you get out of some of the Pixar movies without what Jim Henson was probably doing. I agree. So, in a way that Walt Disney wasn't doing. Well, Walt Disney, I think, also had some of that, but there was something very particular about how, kind of like how Mr. Rogers mm -hmm. connected with children in a way that made 
the kids listen. And it made me listen. I mean, mm-hmm. I I grew up watching Sesame Street and all the Muppet movies and a lot of the stuff Jim Henson did. And that really kind of gave, I think, our generation that, you know, watched that kind of television. Mm-hmm. It gave us a really good foundation for a lot of different good moral things. And, I mean, I... I I mean, really, I mean, so many kids learned Spanish by watching Sesame mm-hmm. Street or learned English if you were from a foreign country. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was great. Let's talk about Muppets Take Manhattan <laughs> a little bit. Now, I say, you know, I'm going to hijack this a little bit. And part of this is because I also want to mention that Nancy's favorite Muppet movie is not Muppets Take Manhattan. She loves another great movie called The Great Muppet Caper, yes. which came out before Muppets Take Manhattan. Which equally is a great Muppet movie. But I chose Muppet Takes Man- Muppets Take Manhattan primarily because this is the one I watched probably over and over mm-hmm. again. I kind of got it. Oh, our other little live action Muppet here, uh, <laughs> Podcat Mulder, is here. Who else is visiting us tonight? Uh, we also have um, a teddy bear and uh, Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street are here, and uh, they actually make a, an appearance in Muppets Take Manhattan, mm-hmm. and uh, having them here is, is really comforting while I talk about them. Hey, Mulder. They're rooting for us. Yeah. So anyway, you know, the basic premise, I mean, Muppets Take Manhattan has a very basic, nice, simple story. It's um, all the Muppets, Kermit, Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Scooter, all the the regular gang, the... Electric Mayhem Band with Dr. Teeth and the whole crew and all them. They're graduating college at the beginning of the movie. And they are performing their senior show, which is Manhattan Melodies. And it's about two young kids who get married and move to New York, basically. And they have this idea to take it to Broadway because they don't know what they want to do with their lives because they just graduated college and it will help and it will give them a reason to stay together. Yeah. So they go to New York, try and find a producer to produce their show. They have a really hard time doing this. So, and it's really stressing Kermit out because Kermit is like the glue for the group. Yeah. And he's always trying to be Mr. Positive. I mean, Kermit really is the not personification, but, because he's a puppet. <laughs> but he is what, you know, he is Mr. Positive. He is Mr. Yeah. Optimism. You know, yeah. he's like, no, we're going to do this. And he gets really stressed out. And the rest of the gang feel like they're a burden on him. And they all are like, you know what? You keep trying to get the show, but we're going to leave. And they all, and the band breaks up. You know, all the whole group splits apart. And they all kind of go their separate ways. And Kermit... He decides he's going to get a job, so he gets a job in a diner, <laughs> and he has, like, this plan to try and get in front of producers, his three-part plan, <laughs> and um, eventually he gets a producer to produce the show, and the show happens, but it's not as easy as it seems. Number one... The whole time he's trying to have this happen and he thinks the entire band is kind of disbanded and everyone's off doing their own thing. He doesn't know this, but Miss Piggy, the love of his life, 
cannot stay away from him and has been spying <laughs> on him the entire time <laughs> while he is uh, trying to get someone to produce this musical. <laughs> and the one friend he has in New York happens to be the daughter of the of the, the, the guy who owns the diner. Pete's daughter, Jenny. Pete's daughter, Jenny, <laughs> who is cute and young and likes to jog likes yeah <laughs> likes to jog <laughs> and piggy is very jealous <laughs> i don't know if you know anything about miss piggy you're a listener but it's miss piggy is very jealous and she's you know it's just because she loves him and she cares about him anyway She's like they eventually stumble upon each other and he gets mad at her for for spying on him. But then a wonderful chase in Central Park ensues when they finally reunite. It's excellent. Yes. But he um, skates are involved. He uh, he forgives her. They start working at the diner together. And all of a sudden, you know, he meets someone who he gets a letter from a producer and he start he's, you know, signs on the dotted line and he gets ready to do it. And then. All of a sudden, he is hit by a car and gets amnesia. Our Once, second uh, yes, movie. amnesia. Set in New York, no less, <laughs> where the lead character gets amnesia. I, just I think, had totally forgotten that part of the movie. Yes, I, yes. Oh, my God. And apparently amnesia was like the go-to, how do we have like an interesting twist in a, in a movie? He gets amnesia. And and uh, <laughs> then he goes and he starts um, he doesn't know who he is and he stumbles upon a advertising agency in Manhattan and it's called Mad Avenue. And I was like, oh, my God, just like Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, too. I think Matthew Weiner was watching this. It was and um, he starts working with these um, and they happen to be also frogs. So these frog advertisers are. Mad frogs. Boo, I don't know what we're going to do. Boo and Jew. Yes. Kermit, now to calling himself Phil, starts working with them. And then one day he decides, hey, guys, let's go to this uh, new place for lunch. And they go to the diner where he was working and the whole crew, uh, you know, the band is back together. Everyone's in there and they find him and they can't get him. They have to try and jog his memory. And it's not until right before opening of the of Manhattan Melodies that uh, he starts insulting Miss Piggy because he can't believe that he would ever fall in love with a pig. And <laughs> she gets so mad at him that she punches him in the face and he gets his memory back and... They all just get back, you know, everyone, everyone's have, having a grand old time and they get the play, the, the musical going and they do, and they do the musical and the, one of the, the subplots that is going on between Kermit and Miss Piggy is right when they get out of college, they're like, Hey, Miss Piggy's like, remember you told me when we had enough money, we can get married. So her whole, like agenda was if we get this musical on Broadway, we will make money and then we'll have enough money to get married. That was her whole plan the whole time. So they finally put on the play and, or the musical and the musical kind of has this whole scene where the, the couple that go to New York get married. 
and she rigs it so an actual minister <laughs> is the minister in the wedding and they get married and then the movie ends and yeah. it's really nice and in in true Jim Henson fashion there are a lot of really good songs mm-hmm. i mean Probably the most popular song that came out of any of the Muppet movies is Rainbow Connection from the original Muppet movie. But this movie has some really, really um, touching songs. Mm -hmm. There's a song called, like, Saying Goodbye when they all leave, and it's really sad. And then um, the song at the end. Yeah. The song at the end, the I think he'll make me happy okay. is what what the song. The song at the end is really nice, and the wedding scene is great because all the Muppets are there, um, all the pigs from Pigs in Space. I think there's even um, a character from Fraggle Rock is there. Mm. Um, all the main characters from Sesame Street from you know this movie came out in 1984, so like then all this the characters from that time. So there was no Elmo, mm-hmm. but you had Bert and Ernie and Cookie Monster and Big Bird and Big Bird, and they were all there. And plus all the gang, you know, you had you had all these other sub characters that. Had always made appearances in either the Muppet Show or Muppet movies, like Sam the Eagle. It was just insane. Or uh, Waldorf and um, Stenson, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just—it's just a fun, nice movie. And you know, every—you know—it's funny. I've—I've I've rewatched this movie twice, probably now in the last ten years. I watched it probably about five or six years ago with my wife. Well, she says I did not watch the entire movie with her. She says she hadn't seen the whole thing, but then I rewatched it to prepare for the podcast. And, you know, this movie is G rated. So it's for kids, Mm -hmm. but there's something about it when I watch it that just, it it just, it just, it's warm. It makes you feel good. I get, every time I watch it, I get jokes that I didn't get before. Like Mm -hmm. there's a great, so the scene where um, the gang has gotten back together and they can't find Kermit. Kermit has been, you know, he has amnesia. He, they don't know where he is. They're searching everywhere for it. So they first get the gang together, and there's a scene where Janice, who is the guitar player in Electric Mayhem, this t- is like they're all talking, and then it just kind of cuts to her, and she says, um, she says some, something like... Um, about taking her clothes off. She, yeah, she, she just says... Um, I don't care if it's supposed to be artistic, <laughs> you know, so yeah. we know what she's implying, but no kid's going to get that, yeah. you know, as an adult. I'm like, oh, my God, that is, that is yeah. a great line. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of puns and a lot of really fun sarcasm um, that I feel totally can go over your head if you're a kid, but is very appreciated as an adult. And I probably enjoyed this movie more now than I ever did when we were younger because I was such a fan of the um, great Muppet caper. Um, I think I thought this movie was a little hokey, um, especially because I don't like the look at me here. I am, you know, the opening number that they always try to sing to all the producers. Like that song gets on my nerves, but this movie was a lot of fun to watch. And I'd forgotten that when, after they reunite, um, in central park, after someone has tried to steal, Miss Piggy's purse and she gets Gregory Hines's um, roller skates and chases him through the entire park. They have a scene where 
they're in a horse-drawn carriage yeah. and daydreaming. And Miss Piggy says, wouldn't it have been great if we could have known each other when we were younger? And she's not talking younger like teenagers. She's talking when they're babies. And what I realized was the cartoon Muppet Babies had to have been born from this little five-minute scene that they had in this movie. And, oh, my gosh, they are so adorable. Yeah, <laughs> Little ever... baby Piggy and little baby Kermit and Fozzie and Ralph. They're so cute. Well, if you ever watched Muppet Babies, they, they're in the movie, in Muppets Take Manhattan during the scene. The, the nursery that they were in looks just the same, uh-huh. and the outfits they're wearing is just what the, exactly what they were wearing in Muppet Babies. And the Muppet Babies cartoon has actually been kind of revived and mm. they have a new version of it and um with the same and they they look the same and they sound the same and everything um so that's that's a lot of fun i also very much liked the scene where they go to the restaurant that has all the actor caricatures sardis sardis yeah and um kermit wants to have a whisper campaign and he brings all the rats with him that was part two of his two-part plan or his three-part plan <laughs> and he he's dressed up as a producer he's got his f- funny little mustache and he's just so confident with the way that he carries himself and he pulls down liza minnelli's um portrait and replaces it with him and all the rats are whispering about their musical and everyone starts talking like ooh, ooh manhattan melodies what is this <laughs> and then of course, the rats are hungry, and eventually they pop up and cause quite the scene. But that scene is hilarious. Apparently, that the drawing, the portrait of him um, from that scene, they they just gave that to Sardis. Uh-huh. And if you go there, they have it there. <laughs> so it's we'll great. put that on our bucket list if we ever make it to New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, one of the, You know, like I said, a lot of what I want to say is not just about this movie because this movie's fun and it's great. And, you know, it's got a lot of good lessons about following your dreams and um, the importance importance of friendship and family. Um, But, you know, other things that Jim Henson was involved with that came out that had an impact with me... um, Right off the bat, I have to say there's a wonderful movie. It's a Christmas movie, and it's called Emmett Otter's Jug Band. Mm -hmm. Love it. Or Emmett Otter and his Wood Jug Band or something like that. Anyway, and that's a great movie. Mm -hmm. And um, We watched that a lot. We watched that a lot. Um, Great Muppet Caper, which came out in 81. Um, That's that's another fun one. Now... In doing my research for the podcast, um, sorry, Nancy, but they actually said that when they were getting ready to do a new movie, that they wanted to make sure it wasn't as hokey as Great Muppet Caper. They wanted to do something more serious for Muppets Take Manhattan. I don't see how you get more serious than Piggy being in jail and a heist of a baseball diamond and Charles Grodin. I think that's the, the like, <laughs> like the, the too funny hokiness of it. I think I liked Great Muppet Caper more when we were kids because it involved fashion and involved, um, it was more glamorous. I, wasn't it set in Europe? 
I think so. Yeah. yeah I feel like it was set in Europe. So there was, there was just like a, it, it was more sophisticated. I would say it was also maybe more Miss Piggy centric. Maybe. I mean, cause she's, she's, you know, she's putting this love triangle with her and Charles Grodin and Piggy. I mean, she has a synchronized swimming scene. Yeah. And, um, there's a whole song about her that, that <laughs> Kermit and, Charles Grodin like sing to her <laughs> about about her and that I mean and 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 I get it in Muppets Take Manhattan is clearly like a Kermit movie yeah. I mean he is in it he's in almost every scene yeah I'm probably more of a Kermit fan than a Piggy fan though yeah I mean if I I mean but I mean when you were a kid the the content was probably more geared toward if it was more of a had more Miss Piggy in it it was you, more female driven. It was more female driven. Yeah. Yes. Especially the fashion. I piece. wonder I don't know if it um because of who Miss Piggy is and her love of Kurt, of Kermit, I don't think it passed the Bechtel test. Oh, I doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it does. I think I'm fairly certain that the actress who played um Mallory of the Mallory Gallery eventually went on to Game of Thrones as Lady Elena. Oh, I think so. That's cool. She stays a boss through the end. Yep, boss to <laughs> the end. It was me. It was me. Yeah, it was me. So anyway, um, one of the other things that I found really interesting about this Muppets Take Manhattan is um, it was loosely based on Jim Henson's real life. Like when he was putting the story together, he was originally, you know, tr- doing these characters when he was in college. And then he went to New York to try and actually, like, make it. Wow. And when he was struggling, he started working at an ad agency. That's which so interesting. I was like, oh, my God, that is amazing. And, you know, what some of the best stories that all the best stories out there, you know, come from some sort of real life. Of course. And life experience. Yeah. So the fact that this was kind of like a semi kind of based on his own personal experience, I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, from the darker things that he's done, like Dark Crystal and the work he did on Labyrinth, and but then also the incredible work he did on Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock and all the things that we kind of really grew up on. I mean, and if you think about it, based on when it came out, I mean, our generation... I mean, this was this was like the prime of of children's programming for our generation. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were too old for Barney and Teletubbies Thank and God. whatever weirdness that was. And you know, I think the other thing that is really close to me personally is I'm reliving so much of this because I have a four year old and I'm watching all these things and watching children's programming all the time with him and. And uh, getting to relive stuff from my own childhood is tons of fun. It's so much fun. Well, I think think the quality of uh, the Muppets, Sesame Street, the fact that they're puppets is Mm -hmm. so different than a lot of other content that's available now. Like, it's not CGI, you know, and there's something that feels so real about them when you're growing up. Well, and and Sesame, you know, I watched Sesame Street with my son, and... um, I feel like the quality of Sesame Street now is 
just as good, if not better, than it was when we were kids. Mm-hmm. It's just primarily because I feel like they are really touching on a lot of different subjects. Like, they have um, an, a character who has autism. Mm. And they are, you know, teaching, you know, by having this character on the show... They are, you know, teaching other kids that are watching the show about what autism is and, like, how to interact with someone Mm -hmm. who might be autistic. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, wasn't really prevalent as much. You didn't hear about as much when we were kids. Mm -hmm. But that's just an example of how how they're so in with the times. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Jim Henson always wanted to do is he didn't want to treat kids like you know, adults treated kids. He wanted to treat kids like they were adults, not in a, in a sophistication kind of way, but not talking down to them as yeah, much. Respected them. And, and that was what was great. I also, um, read a, a really kind of cool, fun little, th- little story about the making of Muppets take Manhattan, where the scene when Kermit's kind of throwing his hands up, you like, Part two of his three-part plan didn't work. No, he got thrown out on he his butt. He got thrown out, and the rats kind of blew the whole plan. Jeez, thanks, guys. And um, he's kind of down the dumps, and he's talking to Jenny, and in the bushes behind them is Miss Piggy spying <laughs> on him. And uh, Jenny's like, let's go for a jog. You know, so they start, you need some exercise. That'll help you make help you feel better. And they have the scene where they go jogging. Well, apparently that scene was incredibly difficult for them to film. I bet. And, you know, you've got Jenny kind of fake jogging on this platform so she can stay next to to Kermit with Jim Henson, you know, working Kermit. And um, they were having all these problems. So while they were waiting for, like, the rig to get fixed or something like that, a boy walked up to Kermit and Jim Henson is puppeteering him, but he just starts talking to Kermit and Jim Henson just going with the flow, started talking to the boy as Kermit. Well, all of a sudden all these kids surrounded him and he just did this whole kind of show right there for all these kids. And it's so cool that that's like one of those kinds of moments where, um, as a child is amazing. But if, if I like right now, if I would have seen that happening, I would have sat there and I would have been, you know, four years old again mm-hmm. and just sat there and watched Kermit. Cause That's that would have really just cool. been awesome. I love that story. I never really got into like puppets or anything like that, but I have no problem. Like, like taking my son's, you know, stuffed animals or he did have a puppet and like pretend, like pretending like and and doing the voices and everything like that, Uh because that's fun for me. And I, I don't think I would have had that kind of imagination or the ability to do that if I didn't have some of the experiences I had watching, you know, any of the Muppets, Sesame street, any of that, because that's just a ton of fun. I agree. I'm feel like I'm in a similar boat. It's, it's not that hard to like pick up a stuffed animal and, give them a little personality and make them kind of come to life and be silly. So if you have not seen Muppets Take Manhattan, I highly recommend it. I do too. And it's a lot of fun. Any of the stuff that Jim Henson has worked on is great. 
Um, unfortunately, he passed away in, I believe it was 1990, 91, and he passed away about, I think I read it was like a week before he was going to sell um, Jim Henson Productions to Disney. Mm-hmm. So that was already in the works. So anyone out there who was like, oh, my God, I don't like Disney or anything like that, you know, Jim Henson was all about, you know, expanding his brand and being able to do more. And unfortunately, he, you know, got got sick sick. and couldn't continue. But they did put out a bunch of Muppet movies afterwards. They did a Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island and (laughs) a really kind of funny but kind of ridiculous one called Muppets from Space and it's all about Gonzo and if you love (laughs) Gonzo watch that movie Mm -hmm. because it's all about where Gonzo is from and because that's one of the fun lines in Muppets Take Manhattan is they talk about we've got this play with you know where there's dogs and bears and chickens and whatevers (laughs) (laughs) one of the fun things about Muppets Take Manhattan too is that you know, they move to New York. They have this quest to find a producer. And Kermit is a little hesitant because he feels like there was just one thing in their script that was missing. Like there was still one element of mm-hmm. the story. But it turns out that after all the Muppets had kind of separated and tried to um, earn some money on their own, you know, they met other people, other puppets along the way. And all the once they got word that, the show had been sold and they all came back to New York. They brought all these extra friends with them. And, um, Kermit real, once he, um, regained his memory after waking up from amnesia, um, one, it was probably Fozzie or something said, Oh, can they stand backstage? And he goes, no, 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 that's it. Everybody needs to be included. So there's this idea of, you know, the more the merrier, um, things are often better if more people are involved in collaboration and, it was very sweet. I mean, that's why we have, you know, Bert and Ernie and a bear and, and Mulder here. I mean, it just makes the podcast better. We need, we need more of that. Yeah. So, so anyway, again, um, I really recommend this movie. I recommend, do I recommend it more than Lost Highway? In some ways, yes, only because it makes you feel really good. Because people of all ages can watch it, and people can understand it. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway. Yeah. All right. So, Nancy, what... Let's talk about your movie. Another fun, heartwarming movie. Yes. Um, So, we're going to talk about The Princess Bride, which came out in 1987, This is directed by Rob Reiner, who I just realized upon looking over this movie, he directed a lot of things in the 80s that I loved. Mm -hmm. He directed The Sure Thing, Stand By Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men, Misery, An American President. And what I liked about when I realized that he directed this is that he may direct something and it doesn't necessarily have this Rob Reiner stamp on it. The way that like a Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese has this very specific stamp. Or David Lynch. Or David Lynch um, (laughs) has a stamp. I mean, he can take other people's material. Like when I think of When Harry Met Sally, I think of that as like a Nora Ephron film. I don't think of it as Rob Reiner per se. American President, Few Good Men, those are like more like Aaron Sorkin projects. And of course, Misery and Stand By Me or Stephen King projects. It's not 
really Rob Reiner, but all of these movies are very high quality and they're all so good. And they're all very, and you're right, yeah, they're very different. They they're very, have, very different. He, he's he's definitely got, you know, he could do comedy, he can do suspense, he can do political drama, mm-hmm. you know. He's, he's very versatile and he does l- find humor in a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And The Princess Bride... Is a, is a very, very funny movie. It's very silly in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it stars Carrie Elways as Wes- Wesley, Robin Wright as Buttercup, um, Mandy Patinkin as Anigo Montoya, um, Christopher Guest is the Six-Fingered Man, Wallace Shawn, who famously says inconceivable, probably more inconceivable. than... Inconceivable! In, he probably says that more than anyone has ever used the word. You, you said that word. properly. Oh, my God. You say that word a lot. I do not think it means what you think it means. Oh, my God. It's so <laughs> silly. Um, but, you know, the, the movie kind of set it, is set up as though um, this very loving grandfather comes over to visit his sick grandson who stayed home from school, and he wants to read him this book called The Princess Bride. You know, the grandson, who I'm going to guess is like 9 or 10, totally protests. He's like, ugh, I don't want to listen to a kissing book. You know, he'd rather play his video game, which was this very, very old school, like... Is there sports in it? Ex- I think yes, that's one of the... Yeah, there's sports in it. Yeah, there's fencing. There's there's uh, pirates. There's all sorts of great stuff. Um, danger galore. So the grandson just kind of begrudgingly agrees. So grandpa starts reading the book, and it's about this farm boy named Wesley who is very much in love with Buttercup. He works for her, and... Um, he needs to go and find work and get money in order to marry her, and he ends up going missing um, and is presumed dead because he's been kidnapped by the Dread Pirate Roberts, and Dread Pirate Roberts leaves nobody behind. It's always assumed everybody is killed. Buttercup locks herself in a room for so so many days, so many weeks, vows to never love again. Movie picks up five years later. Buttercup is set to be married, to the very, very evil Prince Humperdinck, played by Chris Sarandon, who I kind of feel is like a wannabe Harry Hamlin. Yeah, he's I'd just, say that. you know, he it's just not getting there though. But he's got kind of a Harry Hamlin quality. It's his mouth, I think. Yeah, and he's got the browner, and in the way his hair is styled as Prince Humperdinck too. It's got kind of a Perseus quality. Once it's once they're engaged, and and Buttercup has told. Humperdinck, she's not in love with him. And he's fine with that because he just kind of wants to have a princess and whatever. She goes out, rides her horses, and encounters a trio of bad guys led by... Um, Vicini. Vicini and... Inigo. Inigo and Fezzik. Fezzik. The giant. They kidnap her, and they are trying to start a war. Um, they want to get this big war started between the two lands and... All of a sudden, this mysterious pirate shows up, um, kind of ruins their plans. You know, first, this pirate faces off against Inigo, who is the fencer. He, you know, master swordsman and beats him. And then he encounters Fezzik the giant. And um, Fezzik could have easily just, like, crushed him with a rock. And he's like, no, no, that's not very sportsmanlike. That's not sportsmanlike. No. So he, but he's still able to beat him by kind of um, knocking him out, I guess, kind of wraps his arms around him. Puts him to sleep in a sleeper hold. Exactly. But then finally, the last challenge is Vizzini and this um, mysterious man in black 
<laughs> decides to play a game of wits. A battle him. of wits. <laughs> and involving some wine and who's going to drink from the cup and which one of these cups is poison. Well, turns out it didn't matter because he'd poisoned both cups and he'd been building a tolerance he to this iocane. He built a tolerance to iocane powder. <laughs> so he... So Vizzini dies, and you're not broken up about this at all because he is just this annoying jerk of a of a ringleader. He's super insulting to both Inigo and Fezzik, and very loud and demanding. I mean, at one point, you know, Andre the Giant has all three of them attached to him as he's pulling himself up the the cliffs of insanity. Yes, and. You know, this guy, you know, Vizzini's like, go faster, go faster. And it's like, duh. I mean, I'm lifting four people's weight right now. Calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he when he keels over and dies, like, no one's upset. Then Wesley takes Buttercup and they're running off. And he's being really tough with her because he still has his mask on. And when she finally reveals that she doesn't want to marry Humperdinck and she has always loved Wesley he finally reveals who he is. You know, he's she's really upset with him and she pushes him over a cliff, well, a hill that he rolls down and he says, as you wish, which apparently was what he always said to her. When it was the only thing he ever said to her. Before they decided before to start they, dating. Before they started. <laughs> before having, he started courting her, I guess. Having fun in the barn. The having farm. fun on the barn. Having fun in the Polishing barn. Polishing her saddle. <laughs> <laughs> she asked him to do that. Polish the saddle. Anyways. <laughs> so so they have they have approximately four minutes in the movie where they're able to just like hang out and be together and then they like run off into the fire swamps. Fire swamps because, you know, Humperdinck and his little army are trying to find her. And um, after he, they survived the fire swamps that had these rodents of unusual size. Rodents of R-O-U-S's. <laughs> rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. Oh and then he gets God. attacked by one. Exactly. And then there's, oh like, fire that shoots up at the swamp. And then there's quicksand. I mean, just all these things. Well, because she knows how cruel Humperdinck is, I mean, she basically knows he's a big, giant jerk. Instead of having him get killed, she surrenders like, okay, I'll go back and marry you. Just don't hurt him. And she kind of in the back of her mind is like, well, he's my true love. He'll always find me. It doesn't matter. Well, Humperdinck is a big liar and he's a big jerk. And he has his um, buddy, the six fingered man. Played by Christopher Guest in one of the best roles because he just the whole time he just talks with this very kind of calm, deadpan kind of voice. Oh, that must have been terrible. <laughs> so, how did... We just took one year of your life. Now tell me, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretend. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Humperdinck kind of whispers to him, yeah, throw him into the pit of despair where all this horrible, you know, this, basically it's kind of electrocuting him, it seemed like. Yeah, he's torturing him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he hear uh, Inigo hears him crying, like hears him screaming. No, that's not what happens. Well, Inigo wants to find him because he wants. He to, wants to find him because he wants it's to the find only six fingered man. Yes, Fezig tell after they have both Fezig and Inigo have been defeated. They 
want to try and find Vizzini, not knowing that he's dead, because they think Vizzini can help him find the Six-Fingered Man. Mm-hmm. Because um, he hears that he works for Humperdinck, Humperdouche. Humperdouche, yes. And, that um, is a great name for him. Then when he realizes that Vizzini is dead, he says, you know who I need? I need the Man in Black. And he goes searching for the Man in Black and eventually calls upon his father to guide his sword to the entrance of the um, pit, of pit, pit of despair. And that's how they find him. And then they then they head over to Billy Crystal's house, um, Miracle, Miracle Max. Max. Who, um, I don't even remember what that little uh, um, whopper looks like. Little whopper ball or... Um, or milk dud that they feed him. It's a it's a potion to bring him back to life. It looks like a milk dud. But well, she, it looks it, like three milk duds they, kind of melted together. They coat together. it in chocolate because it makes it go down easier. That's what the <laughs> witch says. <laughs> well, they bring him back, of course. And um, even though Wesley is very very, it takes him a while to kind of regain full strength. But he's actually regaining strength much faster than I think anyone expected. Look at that. You wiggled your finger. (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They successfully storm the castle, break up the wedding, which wasn't really a full, like, wedding because... Man and wife. Exactly. Humperdinck is being very impatient with the minister who is just not getting to the point i guess and um, they never actually say i do they just jump to the end skip to the end and inigo is able to face off against the six-fingered man and best him who finally avenges his father's death it's amazing and he keeps saying my name is inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die and he says it over and over and over again and i think this is where you finally get christopher guest raising his voice a little bit stop saying that and he just keeps going and it's amazing and um they humperdinck finds wesley and buttercup in her room thinks that he's going to be able to either beat wesley or not but then when he realizes he can't what does he say? What does Wesley offer Humperdinck? Well, he says, um, a fight to the death, I, I, I guess you propose. He goes, no, a fight to the pain. What's and he's to like, the pain? A pain? To the pain? Well, first I cut off your feet and then your, and then your hands. And then I take out your left eye and then your right. And then your nose. And then Humperdinck assumes that the next thing to go are his ears. And he goes, Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I tell you why. So you can hear the cries and screams of everyone as they go, Oh my God, what is that thing? That is so good. I've seen this movie so many times. That is so good. I think I've probably liked this movie more than you do. I like this movie a lot. (laughs) I think this movie is so good. Um, I love the... um, Oh, and of course, they all reunite. They jump on four white horses, and they escape, and... And, More and, or less the end. And the little boy who is listening to his grandfather tell the story is okay with the kissing yeah, at this point. he's okay with the kissing, and he's very glad that Grandpa came over to read the story. No, this movie is a lot of fun. I mean, we watched it over and over and over again. Oh, I we, know. <laughs> and again, this, this checks a lot of boxes of things that I already like. It's a period piece. It's a romance. It's got... Um, 
a lot of interesting intrigue and stuff. And, you know, I love that they keep repeating the music over and over again, you know, the same kind of charging music for some, some scenes and then the same exact track for a lot of the, the romantic scenes. And it's, it's almost like comfort food, this movie. I, I, I would agree. The this movie has, it, like I said, it it is definitely your kind of very um, wholesome modern day fairy tale with some scary little little bit of scare in there. I mean, um, the scene where she um, tries to escape the scene and uh, the crew, and she jumps off their boat into. Um, and here's the screeching eels, yeah. and they're they're coming after. I think that's one of the fun things about this movie is everything has like this kind of fantastical name, like oh yeah, like the cliffs of insanity and well, all it, that kind of stuff. It's not just it's that it so, has fun names like the it, Dread it, Pirate it, Roberts. I mean, just all of that is just so fun. It's fun in that sense, but it also is fun because of how it uses so many like modern terms for things, like when Wesley's explaining how the moniker of Dread Pirate Roberts just gets passed along every five to ten years because the original Dread Pirate Roberts is going to obviously want to live, be retired or whatnot, and how they kind of cycle through people. He said something like, you know, you have to, you bring people on, but the original Dread Pirate Roberts comes is pretending to be first mate and just keeps saying, oh, you're Dread Pirate Roberts because you want to convince everybody and because you wouldn't want there to be um, respect loss. And he's like, oh, it'd just be work, work, work. I mean, there's just certain little things that are like modern day phrases that they're inserting into what's supposed to feel like, a you know, an old fairy tale. And it's just it's very funny. I mean, it's it's so, so funny. I was giggling so much watching this movie again. Every time, like every time Andre the Giant is on yeah. screen is amazing. I, the whole scene when they're rhyming. Oh, <laughs> yes. That is great. Even the fight scene with him. Talk about a talent that, you know, gone too soon. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had, it's funny is I had never really known much about Mandy Patinkin. And then you're, you're like, God, what? What has he been in? He's in Homeland, which is he's a drama him. on Showtime now. But before that, I mean, the only other thing that I can remember him being in is like Dick Tracy as 88 Keys. Well, and he had that amazing song with Madonna. Oh, my God. I was just listening to that today. <sighs> you and Madonna. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> you and David Lynch. Hey, I didn't pick every David Lynch movie for every episode of this podcast like I some people could have. Ooh. Anyway, this would be a David Lynch podcast. That would, and you would have had a different co-host. Well, Mulder would still be here with me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Bert and Ernie would be here though. Uh, Well, that you don't know that you don't know that there is there is an episode of Sesame Street where they do a homage where they do like a little skit. And it's all Twin Peaks. It's all based on Twin Peaks. Does he go to a diner? They go to a diner, and there's a log lady and everything. Okay. So I'll have to check that out. You have yes. I'll watch Twin Peaks and then I'll check that out. Okay. I promise. It might ruin Twin Peaks for you, so you may you might want to watch Twin Peaks first. No, I, I, that's okay. My plan. Anyway, we digress. Yeah, but no, Mandy Patinkin. He's um, yeah, he's in home. It's so funny to think of him in Homeland as the same guy because they're so different. I mean, he's. I would. I wish. Uh, 
I, you know, I only watched the first like three seasons, I think, of Homeland, but he should do a scene where he gets to um, fence somebody. That would be amazing. That would be great. I think that would be so great. I think I think one of the other one of the things that when rewatching this that that was really kind of interesting is, um, you know, this really could have been a movie. To, in my opinion, this could have been a movie that could have like really launched Carrie Elway's mm-hmm. into like a stratosphere. Um, good looking, mm-hmm. good actor. And I think I can name like th- four things that he's ever been in. If yeah. that, I mean, he was in uh Robin hood men tights. Mm-hmm. He was in that movie. I think the crush. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was called? Maybe. With but he eventually was on X-Files for one or two seasons. I remember when he was going to be on X-Files being really excited. Like, oh, my God, he's finally back. I don't even... God, I don't even remember that. It was after... It was after... Um, after Mulder left. left. Yeah. But, no, no, but, but I mean, that. but he he hasn't really, like... His career did not, like, take off like I would have thought it might have. Yeah. And... You've got Robin Wright, who, like, in the credits, it says, introducing Robin Wright. I know. It's like, before she met Sean Penn, and, I mean, now, I mean, she does, you know, everyone knows her from House of Cards, and... And Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, you're right, and... She doesn't necessarily have really great chemistry with a lot of people. She does, I, th- I think her she's got good chemistry with Carrie Always in this, mm-hmm. but she doesn't she anyways it's it's interesting which is why her role in house of cards is so perfect for her because she and her husband frank underwood don't get along well it's very much a um power couple kind of relationship like they got together with a very specific end goal and yeah Yeah. the other being icy makes sense in that show the other the other scene in princess bride that in some ways, the whole like a lot of clips you see when everyone anyone is referencing this movie is the Billy Crystal scene, and that scene, oh man, I laugh so much at that scene because he he's not playing Miracle Max, I don't think. I mean, he's basically playing Billy Crystal, yeah. Yeah. and and I I really kind of feel like he probably um, improved. And like ad lib mm-hmm. a lot of that scene because it's agree. just so good. Like there's lines from that scene that I quote on a daily basis. You know, liar, <laughs> liar. <laughs> he said true love. He, um, he does the whole bit about the not. It's not a BLT sandwich. It's an MLT. No, it's a mutton lettuce and tomato <laughs> when the mutton's nice and lean. <laughs> but and well and his whole like when he he's like. He blows his Wesley's belly up with air to like, and then pushes on it with like the fire. And he's like, "Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> what what's worth what's life worth living for?" And he pushes on, it and Wesley says, "True love," but he goes, "But that's not what he said. He said to blave, which we all know means, <laughs> means the bluff. bluff." I mean, just this whole scene is just hilarious, and um, it's a comfort food movie. It is a comfort food movie. It's nice to listen. It's fun to watch. and It's very, I mean, for me, I think this would be a movie I could just pick up and watch at any scene and just be like, yeah. oh, you know. I well, mean, and that's what, I mean, any movie that you've grown up on that is like burned into your soul almost. Yeah. You know, for me, it's, you know, movies that we've talked about already or, or movies that we're going to be talking about. I mean, if you can pick it up at any point and just be like, 
I, I don't even, you don't even need the rest of the backstory. You're fully entertained mm-hmm. and content and you like getting this kind of warm kind of, I am very comfortable kind of right now and I need to just have this on in the background yeah. or I can sit in here and intently watch this. Yeah. And that this movie is definitely on the list. We have to also talk about Peter Falk and Fre- Fred Savage though, because Peter Falk is narrating this movie because he's reading the story to his grandson. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of, you know, this older generation trying to get, you know, the younger generation to appreciate something. You know, the kid, of course, was just so bored by the idea of having to listen to a book. Like, oh, my God, you're really going to read me a book? And he's like, hey, books... Books were TV when we were kids. Yeah. But, and just as the grandfather was kind of gauging Fred Savage's um, reactions as things got kind of intense, and he's like, do you want me to stop? Are you, are you okay? It was, it was so cute. It was so funny. <laughs> well, and, and it's definitely, it's a way of seeing a movie. I mean, there's another movie that we could talk about that has this similar kind of, like, fourth wall feel where, like, and uh, where someone is reading a story and it's kind of being played out in front of us. And that's the never ending story. Yes. And it has that same kind of, and you don't have Peter Falk reading it to, you know, the kid and that, but yeah. their grandfather reading it, but it has that kind of fourth wall feel. Yeah. And the way that Fred Savage kind of interacts with his grandpa, like, Oh my God, they're kissing again. <laughs> And he's like, do you want me to skip this? Do you want me to read this at all? What? No, it's fine. And then a couple times they break the fourth wall where, like, you hear Fred Savage, like, oh, now it's getting good. <laughs> like, while yeah. the fighting's happening or something like that. Which, I mean, I think every single family in America has, like, experienced, you know, just the younger generation being like, oh, my God, Grandma or Grandpa, you just don't get it. Or it's, it's very funny. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. And, you know, and it was, you know, it was really fun to be able to kind of have two comedies to watch for an episode this week. Yeah, I mean, our our um, our tastes kind of are vast. And mm-hmm. I think that that is the spice of being a movie goer or movie watcher. I mm-hmm. mean, if all, if all I ever watched was David Lynch, I'd go crazy. So trust yeah. me, I'd have to I have to. You need those kinds of, you know, movies that really kind of take you back and just, you know, it's a comforting kind of thing, you know, with these two movies. I really enjoyed kind of getting to getting to revisit the Muppets and getting to to watch Princess Bride again. I mean, I've this is not the first time I've watched Princess Bride, maybe in like the last two years. It's probably been on and I've watched, I've just turned it on and watched it. I don't think I've seen it in at least 10, maybe even longer. Really? Yeah. I'm telling you, I like this movie more than you do. Well, you know, I don't (laughs) think I've stumbled. I just haven't stumbled upon it. That's really what it was. I mean, I have the DVD. I just hadn't thought. And that, you know, again, that was one reason why when we did decide to do this project, I deliberately put movies on our list that I have been wanting to rewatch for a long time and just hadn't gotten a chance to for a million of reasons, million reasons. But it was fun to rewatch this movie. I'll give you that, I guess. Yeah. But I would love to know from our listeners, you know, if you guys have any opinions or thoughts on either Jim Henson or Muppets Take Manhattan or Great Muppet Caper or, or Princess a, Bride or Questions. Or maybe you have a story that, that is really kind of like, hey, you know, I I loved this movie growing up that, you know, Jim Henson did. And like, I, I know so many people that, you know, 
labyrinth or dark crystal mm-hmm. they have some sort of story about or getting up early in the morning and watching fraggle rock or mm-hmm. something like that but feel free to share that with us because love to hear it. those you know those are the, the those that's the good stuff that's i forget who where i heard that but that's the good stuff right there and you know um if if anyone is able to figure out whether um john or joan cusack you know had any connection to uh the princess bride or uh the muppets i mean god i i really i need to check this and i did not you know research this ahead of time but Part of me actually thinks that Joan Cusack might have actually done something with the Muppets at one point. It's possible. It's very possible. I'll have to check back in and you report back. Report back on that. But I'd love to hear, you know, firsthand, you know, whether I'm right or wrong. Always so if anyone invited. always invited, if anyone out there knows how we can get in touch with them, it'd be a lot of fun. But uh in the meantime, don't forget to Subscribe to our podcast. Rate us, please. Review write, us. Uh, write comments about us wherever you are listening. And um, send us your feedback. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. all those places. And Or you can email us at uh, fightingoverthevcr at gmail.com. Send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Again, this is Matthew. This is Nancy. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much.